Luke 5, 27 through 32. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. So um, this week I turned 44, and... Um, I, I love aging. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to wake up in the mirror every day and, uh, and see yourself falling apart. And uh, I've noticed over the last uh, month that my eyesight is deteriorating. I, uh, I have to um, do this, um, this telescoping thing when I read now. And, um, and so my solution to this is uh, I took uh, my birthday money and I bought a, a larger print Bible, and it's on its way. Um, that's that's going to be that's going to be my solution. Rather than you know going to the drugstore and getting those little cheater glasses or or going and and getting an eye exam, I am just going to buy larger and larger print Bibles, and uh, we will probably reach a point where I have something this big in front of me and I'm flipping pages like I'm turning sheets, and uh, and that's what I'll do because I'm vain, and um, I'm prideful and arrogant and all sorts of stuff. I I don't like examination. Um, I don't, uh, I, 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 I have bragged for the longest time about my eyesight. And um, like when my brother turned 40 and he had to get glasses, man, I was horrible to him. And, um, and now I'm not, I'm just, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to get glasses. So I, it is, it's the exam process. Um, I probably shouldn't admit this, but in uh, the last 23 years, um, I have been to the dentist three times. And yeah, I know, um, it's bad. But um, I left, uh, left the Army in 1999, and I went 10 years without seeing a dentist. And when I went to the, the dentist for the first time, um, he said, I can't believe that you've gone 10 years without seeing a dentist. And he said, uh, actually, your teeth look really good. You have you know, a couple of little cavities, but uh, you take really good care of your teeth. And I don't. But he said I did, so I'm taking it. And so, but he, look, he's, he's, you can't do this. You can't, you can't go 10 years without seeing a dentist. Like, you have, to, you, you have to take care of this a little bit more frequently. So when you leave here today, when you stop by my receptionist, and I want you to make an appointment to see me again. And, and what I heard him say was, your teeth are good so long. And I went right past that receptionist, and I never saw him again. So about seven or eight years later, um, uh, my wife's like, you should probably go see a dentist. So I said, okay. So I go and I make it another appointment to see a dentist and we're living in a different town. And um, uh, he sits down, he says, I, I can't believe that you haven't seen a dentist in like seven or eight years. And I said, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, don't shame me. Anyway, so he said, like your teeth actually look really good. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of cavities, we'll take care of those. But listen, you, you need to take care of your teeth, like you need to, to see a dentist more frequently. So uh, on your way out, see my receptionist, make another appointment. And, and I heard, your teeth are good, see ya. And I never saw that dentist again. And then um, about five years after that, it was December of 2020 that uh, we were here. And, uh, and so I went to see uh, a dentist here in Xenia. And this time the dentist, she said to me, you have no cavities, you have zero cavities. You must take really good care of your teeth. Your teeth are good. And so what do you think happened when she told me that I needed to make another appointment for six months? 
I said, see ya. I, 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 maybe her child will go into dentistry and maybe I'll see him, but uh, who knows? Uh, uh, I, I'm not as bad uh, with, with medical doctors. I have seen more medical doctors, uh, mostly at urgent care. And um, whenever you go into urgent care, they ask you that, that question, who is your primary care physician? And I always say, NA, like, no, I don't, I don't need a primary care physician. Like, if I need a doctor, that's what urgent care is for. Like, if I can't stop the bleeding, that's where I go. And, and that's, that's when I need a doctor. So I don't, I don't really need a doctor. Now, um, as, as I said, I'm getting older and I'm starting to realize I need to grow up in some ways. And uh, I need to, to, to be more proactive and take care of myself. And so I decide I'm going to get a primary care physician. But I'm dreading it. I'm dreading that first appointment because in my mind what's going to happen is I'm going to be taken back into this exam room and they're going to be like, you have to take off your clothes and wear this giant napkin and sit on this tissue paper that your butt's going to stick to and you have to wait for this person to come in the room with really cold hands and look you over from head to toe and, and it's going to be horrible. So just get ready for it. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. And then um, I go and I have the appointment. And she's actually very cool. She doesn't, she doesn't make me take off my clothes. And she, she listens like through my, my, my shirt to, to my heart and lungs and stuff. It was great. And the little knee thing and all that. So she does blood work. And, and at the end, uh, she's like, okay, um, what, uh, do you have anything you want to talk to me about? And so I pull out this really long list of things that I've been ignoring for a really long period of time. And so we start going through the list and she starts making all these appointments for me. And one of these is a dermatology appointment. I have to have some, some moles checked out. I have, I have melanoma uh, in, in the history of my family. And so um, uh, I, I have to go to the dermatology point. And then that's the nightmare that comes true, that, that, you, that they look you over everywhere. And uh, it, was, it was horrible. So I hate exams. And I'm getting to a point, I promise. But I, I hate exams. I hate that, that feeling of vulnerability right? Like being stuck in that chair and that bright light in your face and people's fingers in your mouth or, 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 or people like touching you and listening to you and like all of their senses are involved in examining you and I hate that feeling and, and, and the idea that they might find something wrong and, uh, and, 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 I, and I hate that. And I think that the, there's a lot of us who are like that um, and not just in physical ways but also like in, in, in mental health but also our spiritual health. And, uh, and what we'll do is we will wait till a problem becomes so acute that we can't ignore it any longer, and then we'll seek help. And sometimes some of us actually never seek help. Some of us will go so long and let the problem become so acute, and all the while we're saying, I'm good. I'm good. There's nothing really wrong with me. I'm okay. So we're looking at, at, at chapter 5 of, of Luke, and, and Jesus says something to these Pharisees. Now, um, these Pharisees, they're religious leaders. They're the experts in the law. They know everything, right, uh, supposedly about God. Like, these are supposed to be the guys that when God comes, they're going to recognize him because they know so much stuff. And, you know, it's interesting to me. Uh, I have uh, medical professionals in my family. I have friends who were medical professionals and doctors and nurses and PAs and things like this. And what I find interesting is it's not in every case, not in every case, but generally speaking, it's the medical professionals, the people who know the most stuff, who are the last to go see a doctor. You ever notice that? And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm I, I love you, my friends who are doctors and, and nurses and stuff, but occasionally you guys think that you know everything, and so you don't go see the doctor yourself when you need to. Um, and a lot of us are like, this is what the Pharisees are like. These are the people that know everything. And when Jesus shows up, they can't recognize him. So Jesus says to them in, in verse 31, he says this, uh, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And here's the reality, nobody's well. 
If you are a human being, you are not well. You're dying. That's the state of what it means to be human in a fallen world. We are all dying. Even though you're born into this world and your cells are, are multiplying and you're growing and your, your brain is firing and, and synapses, you'll reach a certain point where, where that stops happening and you're, it's, you're just on a slow descent towards death. Uplifting message, right? I think for guys, the age is 22. We hit 22, that's the peak, and it's downhill from there. We're not well. We're on a slow descent into death. That's the reality of the situation because we live in a fallen and broken world. That's what it means to be human. None of us are well. What Jesus is saying here is that there's a lot of people who are going around and they're thinking that they're really well when they're not. And the problem with thinking that you're well when you're not is that you don't know that you need a doctor. You don't know that you need a doctor and, and your problems will become so acute that they will ultimately take your life if you don't humble yourself. And that's the thing. That's the thing for me. Like, I need to humble myself to be examined, to allow somebody else to look at me and at my physical body and or my mental health or, or, or even my spiritual health. I, I'm seeing a counselor now. You should know that. I'm messed up, guys, just so you know. There's lots of stuff wrong with me. But if I go through life and I never address what's there, then it will be disastrous. And this is what Jesus is getting at. There's, these, there's all these people in the world who are going along and saying, I'm fine. I'm fine when they're not. Jesus talks about this in verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's no such thing as a righteous person. There's no such thing as a righteous person. There's nobody who's righteous. Every one of us has fallen. Every one of us has, has, has rebelled against God. Every one of us has rejected him and walked away from him. There's no such thing as a righteous person. But there's a, the world is full of people who think that they are. We think that, the, that there's nothing wrong with us, that we are okay. And the reality is, is that our sin problem is so acute that it will cost us our souls. So here's the plan. We're going to work through verses 1 through 23, or I'm sorry, 32 this morning in, in Luke 5. And uh, we're going to look at uh, four individuals who encountered Jesus. And uh, the first one is a guy named Simon. Um, Luke will call him Simon Peter. Um, he, he becomes an apostle of Jesus, a disciple, and his name is changed to Peter. Um, but we'll see Simon there. We were introduced to him actually last uh, chapter when Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Um, the second person we're going to see is a guy uh, who has leprosy um, uh, from, from head to toe, uh, a skin disease, really bad skin disease. And then the third person we're going to see is a paralytic, somebody who cannot walk, who can't get to Jesus on his own. And the fourth person we'll see is a guy named Levi. We also call him Matthew, and he's a tax collector. And here's what I want you to be looking for as we look at these four individual uh, 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 encounters with Jesus. I want you to look at the physical posture. I want you to look at the, the physical posture that each one of these will, will, will uh, demonstrate um, in this, this little encounter with Jesus. And, and from that physical posture, I want you to see how it demonstrates what's actually going on inside of them. What's really going on inside of their heart. What is their heart posture towards this? So, to, so pay attention to those words. Let's uh, uh, get into it here. Actually, you know, I'm going to pause and pray before I get carried away. Heavenly Father, um, desperately need you to speak to us, uh, to show us the ways in which um, we reject your help. We reject your love. We reject um, your healing. Um, and we delude ourselves by thinking that we are okay. 
I pray for anyone who is here this morning and um, and they're they're trying to attain a righteousness through other means than you. They're, they're trying to attain some sort of goodness that will make you love them and make you accept them, except they're not willing to go to you to get it. I pray that you would help them see the truth. I pray for us this morning who uh, we have embraced uh, your healing for us. We have embraced your forgiveness. We have lowered and descended in order to perceive that. But I pray this morning that we would not stop there, that every day we would turn to you and every day we would submit to you and grow in that. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Holy Spirit, uh, guide this time and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Luke chapter 4 ends with Jesus telling us what his, his mission is. What did he come to do, his purpose? He says, um, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Uh, he says, I, I was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He's talking about a, a, a reality that is coming into being. A, a, a citizen for this new kind of, of kingdom is someone who has, has repented of their sin, is somebody who has turned away from sin, and somebody who has embraced him by faith. And this is the message that, that he, is, he intends to preach. Luke is going to point out to us um, the, the powerful nature of te Jesus' teaching and preaching, which is something that when we went through the Gospel of Mark, we didn't see as much of, but we'll see it here in and Luke. Jesus' purpose is to come and preach about the kingdom of God and how you enter into it. Um, so look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, uh, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little boat from the land put out little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So uh, we, we see all of these people, and they're coming to, to, to see Jesus heal, but they're also coming to hear him teach. We, we saw last week that Jesus' teaching had authority to it. It made a difference. You hear what he had to say to you, and, and it actually made an impact in your heart. So they come to hear him teach and to, to, to be healed. But they're pressing in on him so close that, it, that he's, he can't get any space. And so he has this idea, I'm going to get into this boat, I'm going to put us off a little bit from, uh, from the shore so I can get some distance between me and, and, and the crowds, and that way I can see them and they can see me and, and, and I can teach. So Jesus does this, and he's, he's done teaching, and he turns to Simon, who has who, who's graciously allowed him the use of his boat, and he says, let's go fishing. Let's go out into the deeper water and drop nets, and, and let's go fishing. And, and Simon's response is, but we did that all night last night, and we caught nothing. We caught nothing, but... For you, I'll do it. He says this in verse 5. But at your word, I will let down the nets. There is, there is this little, little hint of belief in, in Jesus. that He's going to, he's going to be willing to, to humor Jesus at least. So he goes out and they drop the nets and instantly these nets are full of fish. Full of fish. And, and so much so that the, that the nets are beginning to rip. And so uh, Peter calls to, to his partners to come and help him. And so they bring out another boat. And they're loading fish into the other boat. And both boats are so full of fish that they begin to sink. Now, a lot of people would be looking at this and they'd be like, wow. Like they'd be seeing dollar signs. 
they'd be seeing like, this is a catch of a lifetime. This is life-changing for us. With, with the proceeds of this catch, we could buy another boat, or we could hire another crew, or, or, or we could expand our business. That This is going to take us to a new level of, of, of wealth, and we're going to have a gigantic fish story, literally, to tell people, and, and people are going to hear about this, and this is, this is all kinds of awesome. But that is not Peter's response. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's scared. He's terrified. Why? Why? Isaiah um, 6 gives us a picture of, of the throne room of God. And Isaiah is given a vision of this, this throne room of God and, and a picture of what this is like. And in Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is filled with his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and he said woe is me for i am lost Woe is me, for I am lost. Here's Peter, and he's, he's, he's seeing Jesus. He's not seeing a throne room. He's not seeing a, a, a robe that's flowing. He's not seeing, you know, an angel, angelic beings flying around and, and yelling and, and, and making the whole temple just shake. That's not what he's seeing. He's, playing a, he's seeing a simple guy, a simple Jewish man standing in a boat next to him. But there's something about this man that he knows is different, and he knows he's different from him. In the book of, uh, of Genesis, we read about our first parents and they're expelled from the Garden of Eden because of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of, of man can no longer exist in the same place. And so they're, they're expelled from the Garden. But you know what? Not only uh, are they sent away, when a sinner encounters a holy God, they desire for, for that holy God to move away. There's this, there's this thing that happens between a sinner and, and, and the holiness of God where, where, where they're, they're, they're pressing against each other and they're pushing off of each other and, and there's this growing expanse. And here's, here's Simon and he's saying, get away from me. You'll undo me. You'll destroy me. Get away from me because I am a sinner. He doesn't fully understand who Jesus is yet, but he knows who he is. He's a sinner. He hits his knees. Do you notice that physical posture? He hits his knees and he says this. Well, look at Jesus' reaction. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What is Jesus' response? First of all, I want you to see, Jesus doesn't say to Simon, oh, Simon, you're not that bad. Oh, Simon, you're not a sinner. You're okay. No. He doesn't dismiss the guilt and shame that he feels. Instead, he invites him in. He says, fear not. Fear not. You don't have anything to worry about. And just so you know, I'm not going to put more space between you and I. I'm not going to put more distance between you and I. Instead, I'm going to close that distance and I'm going to call you and I'm going to call you to myself and I want you to follow me and I want to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to bring you closer and I'm going to give you a purpose. Why? You see the, the posture that Simon demonstrates. 
He's standing and he hits his knees. And he realizes and he proclaims who it is that he is, a guilty sinner before him. And Jesus' response is to call him to him. This uh, little passage ends with, with not only uh, Simon, but his brother Andrew and James and John um, all leaving everything behind and following Jesus. Why, why would they do that? I mean, they just had the biggest catch you could possibly imagine a, a fisherman having. This is a tremendous amount of money, success. The future is bright because of this huge catch. And they're going to leave all of this behind to follow Jesus because there's something about Jesus that is better than they've ever experienced before. Let's look at the leper now. Verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So um, leprosy, we see a lot uh, in Scripture. Um, there's various forms of skin diseases that possibly uh, people could have. Some are minor and some are major. This one's a major case. This guy has um, a disease that is covering him from head to toe. He is, as Luke says, he is full of leprosy. And there's a certain kind of, of, of a skin disease that would, would attack your nerves, uh, would attack your, a person's uh, circulation, uh, especially in your extremities, so that um, you would lose feeling in your, in your fingers or in your toes or in your nose or in your ears. And, uh, and because of that, you might stub a toe and break it. Uh, you might cut a finger and not know it. Um, you might burn yourself. Uh, people were, uh, were open to uh, infections and, and things would have to get cut off. And, uh, and it was a horrible disease that maimed a person, um, disfigured a person, but more than that, it isolated a person. Because people saw that a person as a leper is, is someone who is highly contagious, and if you touched a leper, then you would become a leper. And so you needed to, to get as, as far away from them as possible and to push them out. So they became isolated. They had to live outside of cities and towns, and they couldn't worship in the synagogue or in the temple. They had to remain outside. And so not only is this person dealing with, with pain and disfigurement, but he's also dealing with intense isolation and loneliness. And he comes to Jesus not knowing what's going to happen. He throws himself down. And I want you to notice something. Jesus could have spotted him a mile away. He could have spotted him uh, before he even approached me. He said, no, 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 uh, stay back. Stay back. I can heal you from there. Don't come any closer. That's not what Jesus does. He gets closer to Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet. Jesus, again, he could say, uh, yeah, you're clean. Go on about your life, whatever. But that's not what happens. Look, look at what Jesus' response is. He says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This man is saying, I know that you can heal me if you want to. And Jesus says, I want to. And I love that the way that Jesus, he, he heals him. He doesn't heal him with a word. He heals him with a touch. He touches him. When was the last time this man felt the touch of another human being? Jesus is not only addressing the, the skin disease that he has, he's addressing the heart and its isolation and its pain and its loneliness. And he's touching this man. What love you see. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Uh, what's interesting about the Levitical law, about Moses' law, is it made, um, it, it had a prescription for how somebody who, who once had leprosy, who no longer has leprosy, how they get reintroduced into society. 
There was a, a prescriptive way that somebody who, who, uh, who had this disease could get reintroduced to society, and they had to go to the priest, and the, the priest had to verify that they were clean. Uh, that's a really important word in understanding leprosy, clean and unclean. Um, they, they were seen as, as, as dirty, and so they had to make sure that they were clean, and there was a sacrifice that would be offered, and, and then they could come back into society and culture, right? What's interesting, though, is there's no prescription in the Mosaic Law for how to get cured of leprosy. There's a, there's a prescription for if it, if it happens, what you do need to do then, but there's no prescription for how you actually get cured of the disease. And, and as far as I know in Scripture, I don't think there's any natural uh, means of cure for leprosy. There are people who are cured of leprosy through miraculous means, but outside of the power of God, that never seems to happen. And so here this man is, he's sent to a priest, and this is going to be a, a powerful testimony of, of the presence of God working and the power of God at work, as this priest has never heard of anybody actually being healed of leprosy outside of divine means. It comes a powerful testimony. Um, Jesus instructs him not to say uh, anything, and uh, from Luke's perspective, we don't know that he actually does, uh, but verse 15, it says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Here is a man who teaches, and here is a man who heals, but here is a man who heals by touch. He heals more than just what's going on in the surface. Now, did you notice the physical posture? What happens? This guy comes to Jesus, he's standing, and now he's face down, prostrate in front of Jesus. It's an outward sign of what's going on inside of his heart as he's willing to lower himself. He, he's willing to demean himself. He's, he's willing to submit to examination, submit to healing, submit to cleansing. Let's look at the paralytic now, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I love that. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. In other words, Luke's saying, get ready. He's going to do some of this. And, and in verse 18, it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, if Simon, if he was a picture of guilt and shame, and if the leper, he was a picture of, of, of uncleanliness, this man is a picture of helplessness. He can't even get to Jesus on his own. Like, it, when it comes to, to life, he, he cannot do anything for himself. He cannot provide for, him, for his family. He cannot contribute to, to his town or to his culture. Like, he was somebody who could only take and was completely helpless to give anything. But here he has four friends who, who love him enough to take him to Jesus because he can't take himself. So they, they find that Jesus is in this home and they can't get to him, and so they take him up on the roof. And uh, uh, houses in, in Palestine 2,000 years ago had flat roofs. Um, they had uh, stairs built into the side of them so that you could go up there and, and, and perhaps sleep up there when it was really hot. Um, but uh, these guys begin to dig through the roof literally dig through it because it's made of, of clay and, and straw and, and, and wood beams that, that support it. And so if you were in the house, you would begin to notice um, the, the sound first of somebody digging on the roof, and that would be pretty weird. But then you start seeing uh, sunlight come through, and then you start seeing uh, dust and, and, and dirt and, and big clumps of, uh, of material just falling down on the ground. And then you see this stretcher, this bed coming down out of the ceiling, lying on the floor. What does Jesus say to him first? 
Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, when your, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. This is called triage. When, when a, a doctor encounters somebody who is, is suffering, they need to evaluate that person for what's the biggest problem here. What's the biggest problem here? What's going on here that needs to be addressed first? What's the biggest problem for this man? It's sin. It's a, what good is it if this man can, can walk if he's just going to spend eternity in hell? What is good is it for, for you to be, be given the desires of your heart from God, but, but you're going to spend eternity separated from God? Like, sin is our biggest issue. Sin is our biggest problem. And that's the thing that Jesus addresses first. Your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees, they don't like that. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. This man is blasphemy. He's, he's claiming in a roundabout way to be God. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? You know, you and I, we could all go out today and we could go, go down the street and go knocking door to door and with every person who greets us, we could say, your sins are forgiven because it's really easy to say, right? But go to the hospital, this hospital, see someone in a wheelchair and say, rise and walk. And immediately people will know you're a fraud. Immediately people will know that, that, that your words are meaningless. Jesus says, okay, so you want to know if I have the power to forgive sins? I'll use the same power to make him walk. He says this in, in verse uh, 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's what happens. And that's what happens. I love uh, this man's response. It says, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. What do you think he's glorifying God for? You think he's glorifying God more for walking, being able to walk? Or do you think he's, he's glorifying God more for the forgiveness of sins? See, I'm willing to bet that if you're here this morning and you know what it's like to be under an immense weight of your own sin, you, you know what it's like to be suffocating on your own guilt and shame, if you know what it's like to have that burden on you and then to have Jesus lifted off of you, you know what this man was glorifying God for. But there are so many of us walking around saying, I'm really not that bad. And the guilt and shame that I bore really wasn't that heavy. And you would look and you would say, he's probably glorifying God more for being able to walk because that seems like the worst problem. Think about it. Well, it's not just him who's glorifying God. Verse 26, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. It's a beautiful picture. I want you to notice the, the movement there, right? Remember, this man is helpless. He couldn't even get to Jesus. He had to have his friends carry him to Jesus, and he's stuck lying there on a bed, helpless, unable to do anything. But what happens? His friends lower him down through the ceiling to the floor to see Jesus. His friends help him. Submit. His friends help him get low, so to speak. Beautiful picture. Now, last character of the story, Levi. Look at verse 27. 
And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Doesn't that strike you as very short? Just a couple of verses. Very, very short. Like, there's no dialogue beforehand. Right? There's no, like, chit-chat. There's no, like, Jesus explaining things to him, teaching him in any way. We don't see a miracle, right? There's not a bunch of fish showing up or, or somebody who's lame walking. Like, we don't see anything supernatural here. Uh, we, we see a man who's simply sitting down collecting people's taxes, and Jesus says two words to him, and he leaves everything behind and starts following. What would make somebody do that? I've asked you to look at the posture of everybody. When you encounter Levi, what's his posture? He's sitting. He's already low. You see, that's kind of a good picture of, of who a tax collector is. A tax collector was somebody who was a traitor to the Jewish people. He worked for the Roman overlords, the government, and he collected taxes from his own people to give to, to Rome. And not only that, he collected more taxes than was necessary so he could line his own pocket. He was a traitor and he was a thief to his own people. He was an outcast and he was rejected and he was hated. And from, from a certain perspective, Levi is the lowest of the low. He is the worst of the worst. He is at the bottom. Nobody wants to be his friend. He, he is probably isolated and alone because of the things that he's taken from people. When Jesus encounters this man and he says two things to him, what does that tell you? It tells you he's ready. It tells you he knows he's at the bottom. And when you're at the bottom, there's no place to go but up. And for some of you this morning, you might find yourself at the bottom. You might find yourself in, in this place in life where you, you are lost and you see that, that you, you have nothing and you have no one. And you are isolated and you're alone and you've re been rejected by people, you've been rejected by your family. And maybe that's some of your own doing and maybe it's been what people have done to you, but you find yourself and you are at the bottom. That is not a bad place to be because at the bottom you could find Jesus who is there. And he's saying, follow me. And he wants to lead you up and out of that. The reason why this conversation is so short is because here is a man who is ready to be healed. And, and I, know, I love what, how, how Luke puts this. He says, and he rose and followed him. See, the movement there is upward because he's gone down as far as he can go. Well, we're going to encounter another group of people. I want to talk about these Pharisees. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but Levi's response is to throw a party, invite all of his sinful friends. And Jesus is going to be the guest of honor. So uh, Jesus is going, and, and look at what verse 30 says. Is, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, there's a group of people who know that they're sinners. 
I imagine, you know, we, we know Simon was there, we know Levi was there, but I imagine that it's possible that the leper was there and, 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 and the, the paralytic were there and a whole bunch of other people are there at this party who recognize the fact that they are sinners. And here's a group of people that is willing to, to, to submit to, 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 uh, to exam. They're willing to lower themselves. They're, they're, they're willing to come down and they're willing to, to, to take that place. And, and I think this is what we, we see here at this party. And yet there's a group of people outside who are refusing to take part. They're refusing to go in, even though they might well be invited. They're refusing to go in. Instead, they're, saying, uh, they're staying on the outside, and they're pointing the finger at the people in the party and saying, those are sinners. And just like with leprosy, Jesus, if you associate with them, if you touch them, they'll make you a leper, or they'll make you sinful. And Jesus' response is, no, if I touch them, I'm going to make them righteous. There's a group of people who are outside and they're refusing to go inside. And they're missing it. They're absolutely missing it. Jesus is saying, like, you think you're okay, but you're not. You think you're good, but you're not. You think God is okay with you, but you're not. You think you're righteous, but you're not. You are sick and you are dying. The reality is, is there are some of you who are like that in that position this morning. You think you're okay with God and God's okay with you apart from Jesus Christ. You think you're good. You, you, you say, I am a good person and if there's a heaven, I'm going because I know I've never killed anybody and I'm not a liar and I'm not a thief. And I've never cheated. And there's a whole list of things that you could point to and say, this is proof that I'm a good person. But you know what? You're not comparing yourself to Jesus. And if you'll do that, you'll see the error of your thinking. You're not good. And I want to show you how ridiculous this is. The idea that you're righteous enough to attain uh, to, to God, that, that, that you could ascend to where he is, that you're righteous enough for that. It's like going out and buying the biggest ladder you can find, climbing to the top of it, and trying to touch the sun. That's how short you're being. That's how ridiculous it is to think that you can have a righteousness apart from Jesus Christ that will give you a spot and earn you a place next to God. You see, the, in Simon, the, this guilt and this shame that he's willing to come down and acknowledge. We see in this leper this uncleanliness, this isolation, this pain, and all that he's dealing with, and, and he's willing to come down in order to be healed. This, the helplessness of this paralytic man as he's lowered by his friends because he doesn't even have enough power to lower himself. And yet he's brought low in order to be raised up. And here's Levi. He's got nowhere to go but up. It's a beautiful picture. When you think about it, here, go back to that, that, that verse. Um, verse 29 uh, it says, uh, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. You, you have to picture this in your mind. Um, uh, Jewish people ate just like we do in, in Palestine 2,000 years ago. They, they eat at tables and chairs, okay? But on special occasions when they feast or, or throw a party, they remove the tables and the chairs, and they have these lower tables, and they have cushions. And you would lay with sort of your head towards the table and you would eat and you would, you would drink really good wine and you would talk to the people next to you and you would recline and you would relax and you could take a nap if you wanted to. 
It's this picture of, of rest and joy and celebration. It's a picture of, of indulging and feasting on what the master of the, of the feast has provided for you. Like it's this picture of, of heaven. It's literally a picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb where one day people who went low, one day people who acknowledged guilt and shame, one day people who, who acknowledged their uncleanliness before God, their, their, their complete inability to do anything before God, it's a place where, where one day all of us will get to enjoy this feast. And I love the words there. It says, reclining at table with him. We get to recline at table with Jesus. It's this beautiful picture. But it doesn't happen unless we humble ourselves now so that we can recline with him later. And meanwhile, there's a whole group of people who are standing outside refusing to go in because they can't see their own problems. They can't see their own sin, their own guilt and shame, the ways that they are spiritually sick with an acute sin that is, is, is literally destroying them. Are you good? You hear this morning, you're saying, I, I'm, I'm good. You're not hear that. You're not. I want you to notice something. Who in this chapter descended the most? We see Peter, and he's standing, and then he's kneeling. Uh, we see the leper, and he's standing, and then he's prostrate, face down. Then we see uh, the, the, the paralytic guy, and he actually comes from the ceiling, like hole in the ceiling, comes down to the floor. Who, who descended the most? Obviously, it wasn't Levi. We, we see him already seated. Who descended the most? Jesus. It was Jesus. The Son of God, who leaves glory to take on flesh, born in the form of a little tiny baby, to grow up and experience all the harsh reality of being human and all the pain and death that comes with that. Jesus is the one who descended the most. He's the one who entered into these relationships. He's the one who lowered himself and served people and touched lepers. He's the one that multiplied and fed, fed people. He, he's the one who went through his life and lived this perfectly righteous, sinless life so that he could go to the very, very bottom and be crucified. That, that there at the cross, he would go to, to the very, very bottom of what it means to be human. And he would suffer and he would not just, he would suffer from the wrath of God as God is taking out our sins on him. He went to the very, very bottom for us. What great love is this, that he would do that for you, and that he would exchange, he would take your sin, he would give you his righteousness. What love is that that he has for you? He didn't stay dead. The Father raised him from the dead three days later. And eventually he ascended into heaven. And right now he sits there interceding on your behalf and on my behalf so that one day he can finish that, that, that raising us up and to raise us up where he is. And then we get to enjoy this feast and we get to recline at table with him. You see, you, you, you can choose humility now for exaltation later. Or you can choose humility exaltation now to be brought low later? Will you be the Pharisee who lays, stays on the outside in your own self-righteousness? 
Or will you be the one who says, I need help? I need a doctor. That's me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, throughout your word it says that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And I pray this morning that the humble would find that grace. That for anyone here this morning who um, is coming face to face with a way that they don't measure up and can't measure up, that you will meet them in this moment with your grace and your love. Will you lift up our heads? May we see your glory. I pray for us as a church that um, we will be a humble people. That not only would we, we accept your grace once, not only would we humble ourselves once, but we would do it every day. We would be a people who acknowledge just how low you descended, but how, how much love was behind that. And help us to be changed by that love. In Jesus' name, amen.